We've been in a series talking about the attributes of God, and I pray it's been a blessing. Uh, We can't underestimate the importance of what we're talking about this season. And the season, uh, the series has been called God Is, and then we've been filling in the blanks. And it's important that we understand that the is has tremendous significance. This series is not God has goodness or has all power or has all knowledge or justice or mercy or sovereignty and so on and so forth. It's God is goodness and power and knowledge and justice and mercy and sovereignty. God is holy. And the distinction is important because if he just had these things, they could run out or he could lose them. And what's interesting is that as we study these attributes, we benefit eternally by God being just who he is. We benefit from who God is. And the importance of the series cannot be underestimated because when we have wrong thinking, wrong beliefs, wrong doctrine, it will lead to wrong behavior. You understand what I'm saying? But on the other side, good doctrine, good understanding leads to good and right behavior. And again, we've said this each and every week. We're using God's word as our source and we look to it for our guide as it helps us through this series. We're going to jump right in because this is a huge topic. Today's attribute is the topic of grace, that God is grace. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we'll start this morning, and it's kind of an interesting spot to start. This chapter talks about the Word of God becoming flesh, becoming Jesus, the Word of God. And in the first verse, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it goes on and describes in verse 14 that the Word became flesh And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And he came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Really powerful thought there. Verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, everyone say grace, we have all received one blessing after another, after another, after another, after another. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. What you need to see this morning is how important it is to know that God is grace. He is grace, the epitome of grace. God oozes grace. He became the picture of grace. Jesus did, as we just read in, the, in uh, John chapter 1 there. Jack Hayford says this. He says, grace is God meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, we had this need that we couldn't fill. We still need help. So God gave us grace, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the source of grace, the epitome of grace, the manifestation 
of grace. And my heart is, is that our lives today would reflect the grace of God, that there would be a greater revelation of who God is, and then there would be application for today and for this week that God's grace would be with us. Now, the topic of grace is absolutely enormous. Grace is a hard word for most people to define, even harder to embrace in our own lives. And I understand that, as we said, with some of these attributes, we may walk away with more questions or more concerns than maybe what we even had when we came. But I want you to track with me today because it's a concept found in Scripture and arguably the most important concept or term in the Bible. Many commentators, as I was reading this week and kind of just looking and just saturating myself in material, called grace the great word in the Bible because it's the foundation of Christianity. It's the essence of salvation. And if you try to define it, if you try to put your arms around it, it can kind of uh, be tricky. Webster defines grace in a biblical concept as this. Unmerited divine assistance given humans given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. I hope that blesses you. I read that this week and I'm like my eyes were like glazing over and I'm like I you know I'm pretty studious but I'm like what in the world does that mean? And I'm hoping to bring a little more clarity than what that verse does, or what that uh, Webster's Dictionary does. See, in the Bible, grace is a huge word. It comes from two or three root Hebrew and Greek words, and it can be described in, in, in lots of different areas, lots of different ways, lots of different terms. So grace can be substituted for gift or give freely, to forgive, to bestow graciously, to rejoice, joy, thanksgiving, to, uh, to give thanks, thankful. In the English, when we look at the word grace, the root word is seen not only in grace, but in gratitude, to be grateful, graceful, gratuity. That's just a few of the ways that the root word it carries through. And we understand it's such a big word, and it really demands a full series. We could talk about grace for six weeks or six months for that matter. It's a wonderful, wonderful topic. But this morning, I want you to know I say that because we're not going to cover everything this morning. And how many are saying thankful? Are <laughs> you grateful for that? But I don't want to be shallow this morning either. I want to go a little deep in some specific areas that I believe that will really help us, really challenge us in this idea that God is grace. So God is grace. Before we give you a, a term that we can kind of sink our teeth into, I want to remind us that a few weeks ago, we said that God was justice and mercy. You remember that? And what justice is, is giving someone something they deserve. God is the judge, and he will judge each and every one of us. He will do that. The, on the same page, we said that God was mercy, not giving someone what they deserve. And you're saying, okay, did you just talk out of both sides of your mouth, right? God is giving people what they deserve and not giving them what they deserve. Well, you got to get the tape, or not the tape, but get online and listen. And we, we saw how God is fully justice and he is fully mercy. He is withholding judgment. He's giving mercy right now. And uh, it's a really powerful thought. But when we talk about God as grace, 
This is something I believe is a simplified, but I believe it's accurate, that grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. Let me say that again. Giving someone something they don't deserve. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few verses here about grace. And what's interesting is that we're turning to some of Paul's letters here. We're going to read and refer to a couple of uh, Paul's writings. In the New Testament, grace is talked about 155 times. Um, you can count them if you want. Um, I just trusted the uh, commentators. But 130 out of the 155 are in Paul's writings. And Paul, some people call him the apostle of grace. He understood it. He lived that way. And, uh, he dis- and what's interesting, as you read this in Ephesians, we'll see how g- grace was important to Paul. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Whoop, i got to turn there too. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. It says, grace and peace to you from our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is a greeting that you see in many of Paul's writings. In fact, all of them. But it has, it, it's really, there's some significance there that we can't really touch. But grace and peace uh, was a foundation of Paul's ministry. It says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose it, us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. If you ever wonder what God expects out of you, you can see it right there. He desires for us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, it says, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Everyone say grace. Which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him... We have the redemption through the blood and forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and all understanding. Grace is huge. God's grace is available for us. God predestined for God's grace to be evident in our lives. And I thought it would be great to use a story uh, to describe what grace looks like. We can look at the story in Luke chapter 15, and we're not going to take time to read the whole account, but there's a story of the prodigal son. How many of you heard of the story of the prodigal son? It's, uh, prodigal means wasteful. This is a son that was wasteful, and it's actually a part of three different stories. There's a story that backs up to that is the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the, the 99 sheep and goes off to rescue the one, gets the one, and throws a party to celebrate. Then there's another story right after that of the lost coin. A family had lost his coin, and they're looking, looking, looking. They find it, and they throw a party, and they celebrate. And then Jesus tells the parable of the lost son. And if you don't know the story, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. A son takes his inheritance prematurely, goes out, spends it, and spends time, it spends all the money, lives like the world, and uh, just, you know, crazy, out of control, ends up without any friends, without any money, and he's out there, he's living in the pig pen, eating what the pigs are eating, and he comes to the realization saying, you know what, 
Even my father's servants are treated better than what I'm being treated. And he says, you know what? I'm going to humble myself and go home. And the story is about the father receiving the son. And, uh, and, and it's a picture of grace. These stories, all three, there were three lost things. And then there were three parties to celebrate when the lost was found. Now, this particular story, the prodigal son, is more about the father than the son. The son wasted his money with extravagance, unrestrained living. I was trying to think about what that would look like in our day and age. It would be like moving, if your son or daughter moved to Miami and just lived it up and partied all the time, or moved to Las Vegas and just gambled away your inheritance. That's what it would have been like. But the father on the flip side, restored the son with that same extravagant, unrestrained grace. The son had blown the reputation, had blown his his inheritance. He had scorned his father publicly, but he gets grace instead. Now, what did the son do to deserve this grace? Certainly, he came to the realization in the mud pen, you know what, I could humble myself, I could go, I could repent, and we understand that. But there's a part in Luke 15, verse 19, that says he's he's trying to create this letter or this mindset, what will I tell my dad? And he says, you know what, he says, I will tell my dad, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what he was going to tell his dad. I'm no longer worthy. And as I understood that, as I read that this week and kind of got my mind around that, I was thinking, when was the son ever worthy to be called his son, the dad's son? No, that's not how it works. I've got a son, nine years old. And if, you know, Logan, he messes up like every other little kid um, here and there. He's a good kid overall. But if he messed up one day and really blew it and, uh, you know, I don't know what he'd do, but... And he said, you know what? He came to me and said, you know what, Dad? I finally did it. I've been super good since the accident or what I did. I am now worthy to be called your son. I would slap him silly and say, boy, you don't even know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? Worthy to be called my son? I'd be like, go sit down and eat the dinner that I paid for, put on the clothes that I paid for, sleep in the bed that I paid for. The point is, is Logan is my son. I love him. I would die for him. And it's never been about how good or bad he's been. And the truth is, is that's the way it is with God. And in this story, the story, the son gets grace. And you know what? The Pharisees that were listening on and heard this story, they were furious. They were furious. They're saying, you know what? This is too good to be true. Everyone say that with me. Too good to be true. That's what grace is. And you think about it. In this story, the story is more about the father, what the father does more than what the son does or deserves. Think about it. In all three of those stories, what did the sheep do to deserve to be rescued? Nothing. What did the coin do in the house? other than collect dust bunnies, right? The coin did nothing to deserve being found in the celebration. And the same is true with the lost son. Essentially, the boy did 
nothing or could have done nothing to deserve the grace. Grace is undeserved. It's unmerited. It is unearned. And that's the point. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, in the next chapter over. We see that in verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And just in case you thought that if even for a moment that you could earn it, it says not for this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace is strictly from God. It comes from the Father. Our sonship, our daughtership is not based on our performance. How many are thankful for that? But it's based on Jesus' finished performance and our faith in what the Word of God says is true about God. See, the story of the prodigal son is crazy love, super extravagant, lavish love, love that, over, that overcame the father so much that he lost all good sense and set aside his dignity. That's what grace is. The son deserved punishment to be disowned, to be banished, and the Pharisees, they would have had a heyday with it they would have, because they would have been saying, look, this isn't right, it's not fair, because all they knew was legalism, all they knew was the law. But what does the Bible say Jesus came to do with the law? He came to perfect it, to, re, to, um, to give it uh, legs. Uh, there's a difference between law and grace. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And there's two different thoughts in, in our lives that we can have. Either one is I can earn God's favor by the rules, by doing what's right, avoiding what's wrong, or I cannot earn God's favor. And what's interesting, either you choose, you know what, I'm going to live in worthy land and try to do everything I can to be worthy, or you can live in grace land and, uh, and enjoy that, not Elvis Presley, all right? I know what you're thinking, Brennan. And whether you would say it or not, well, let me just say, if we took a little quiz, 100% would say, no, we, we, you can't earn God's favor, right? Am I right? You can't earn God's favor. You understand that, right? We understand that here. But the way that plays out in our lives, unfortunately, in so many ways, it's about the rules. It's about the law. And it overshadows saying, you know what? I understand it's God's grace, but I really still have to do a few things, right? See, the law was given so that humans might know sin until they received grace. That's a powerful thought. And what's interesting, there were hundreds of rules in the Old Testament that, that they had to find. But when the New Testament came, it, was, it, it says in Romans eleven six 6, that it's not by works, it's not by rules that you live. Romans six fourteen that says you are not under the law, but instead you are under grace. Galatians chapter 3 and 4, if I gave you an assignment today, would be to read Galatians 3 and 4. It's a wonderful discourse talking about the law and the importance of the law, then in talking about the promise of a Savior, Jesus, coming, and then combining those to talk about what is available for each and every one of us. 
that we can be called sons and daughters of God. It's really powerful. I wish we had the time to dissect it. But the intent of the law, I don't ever believe that it was to save us. See, the law was more of a covenant or a vow, kind of like a marriage vow or a commitment to a person. That's why they were created. It was all about relationships. And when the law would be violated, it would hurt the relationship. It's interesting that in John chapter 1 that we read earlier, it said the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I believe the verse in the scripture that says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you believe that? Well, the truth is the law did not originate with Moses. It existed in the heart of God from the foundation of the world. So Old Testament is not a book of the law and New Testament a book of grace. Those are one document together with one author, the Holy Spirit, God, inspiring every single word. And it's the same God that created the law as he created the as created grace. The bottom line is it's not rules to follow that Jesus wants. It's a relationship. And I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you've been in the church a while. You're saying, no, but pastor, if you say that, or if you believe that, there's a potential for those that would abuse grace, that they would take it to an extreme. And I I just want to say I'm not promoting lawlessness, but we're promoting a higher calling. The law says do not murder. Grace says don't even hate. The law says do not commit adultery. Grace says don't even look at a woman in a lustful way. But people will take things to an extreme. And there is a potential of abusing grace. And that's a danger that we have when we say it's not about the rules. It's about relationship. It's about grace. This, this uh, early this summer, back in actually May and June, I ordered this book. It's called Jesus Is. I knew that I was wanting to do a series on the attributes of God. And so I was doing some pre-study. Someone said, hey, I heard about this book. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Is. That's cool. And I thought it was going to be all about the attributes of God. The book is not. Uh, at all. But I like the cover and uh, I like the look. And so thus some of the look. All right. So these are not original thoughts. Just in, uh, maybe you thought they were. Darn, I just blew it. <laughs> we're not that smart. But anyway, but great. He, go, he does have a chapter, a section talking about Jesus is grace. And it's interesting that as he, as Judah Smith, uh, who's a pastor, uh, he describes, he kind of talks about uh, grace being a person. And it's really worth the read. I'd encourage you to get the book just for that middle section right there. He talks about, and he's a great writer, he talks about how sometimes we receive gifts that we don't know what to do with. How many have ever received a gift that you're like, ah, what is this? Or, you know, you know, what do I, you know, oh, great. And where does it go? It goes on the shelf. And it only comes out when those people come over, right? <laughs> Am I, you guys have done it too. Okay. Well, he says this. He says, that's what a lot of us end up doing with grace. We don't know what grace is or what to do with it. So we leave it on the shelf most of the time. Track with me. Then we bring it out when we need it to get ourselves out of trouble. Who's guilty of that? I am. 
This shallow understanding leads some people to abuse grace. And I think he takes this in a very uh, practical way. He says that there are people that sin on purpose. I've been there. They plan ahead to sin. They know better. They know the truth, but they turn their backs on it. Then they plead grace like a fifth amendment when they are caught. For them, grace is a way to weasel out of owning their actions. It's the ultimate Christian trump card. Pretty interesting perspective. Then he goes on and he says, you know, when I was a youth pastor, you would encourage young men. And he would ask them, he'd say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, are you staying pure? And I'll just read the dialogue with a young man and Judah Smith. And the young man says, not so much. I'm a dude, you know. Got hormones and stuff, but it's all good. I'm a dude too, Judah would say. It's not easy, but there's hope. You want to stay pure, right? I don't know. You know, I think I'm okay, better than a lot of people. Sure, sin's bad and all, but that's what the grace of God is for. Grace of God? Uh, Yeah, God's grace is there for you. It's there to help you change too, Judah would say. Are you seeing any improvement? Not really. Getting worse, actually. But hey, grace of God. Like the trump card. And off they go, unchanged and unconcerned. And what's crazy about that is we can read that, and I can read that, and I can identify with that in different areas of my life. And my guess is you can too. But listen, this is really powerful. Judah says, People who flaunt their sin in the name of grace... They don't even know what grace is. And I believe that. Grace of God. See, when we start to think of grace being a person, it changes the rules. See, grace is not a principle. And if it was, then abusing grace would be an easier option. It's easy to abuse a principle or to manipulate a system or excuse away a doctrine. How many would agree? We can do that, but it's much harder to abuse a person or to violate a relationship. Now, let me just say, it is possible to do that, but it's much harder. I was thinking about it this week that, you know, my wife, Jessica, she's so wonderful in in so many ways. She loves me so much. She's faithful. She's loyal. Um, She takes good care of me. But I would never think of saying, you know, I could cheat on my wife, and, uh, and it would be just fine. She'll take me back. I would never think that. It's repulsive. It's ridiculous to even say something like that. And the reason is because I am not faithful to an impersonal ideal called marriage. I'm faithful to a person. After service, someone grabbed me, because I talked about this in first service, and they said, you know, when a marriage is going well, when things are going great, you don't have to even think about the rules. But when you get married, there are some rules uh, understated. There's a vow. There's some things that are important. But when things are going good, you're not like waking up in the morning and say, all right, now what did I agree to do? Right? It was brilliant. I thought, but when things are going bad, when the relationship is rocky, I mean, no, then those rules become a little more significant. And the same is true in our relationship with God. When things are going well, it becomes less about the law 
less about the rules and more about the relationship. And it's a powerful, powerful thought to me. See, relationship trumps everything. Relationship is the key to grace. I want to wrap up by kind of bringing some final thoughts this morning for us to kind of sink our teeth into. The thought is, first of all, that grace starts with the giver. And we cannot blow through today and and not recognize that grace starts with who God is. It's an important. And we see it in his attitude reflected in the action of God. It's the heart of God that makes his hand extend grace. There's a cause and effect relationship when it comes to grace, but it starts with the giver. And that's an important piece for us to understand. And when we meet grace, it becomes the fuel of our faith. It's not doctrine. It's relationship with grace that fuels our faith. I had been studying and was uh, close to being done with my message, and a friend of mine called um, Dr. Dwayne Adams. Uh, some of you guys know him. And I was telling him what we're talking about, and he says, oh, you got to get your hands on um, an 1800, back in the early 1800s, there's a guy, F.F. F. Bruce, that had some great thoughts on grace. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I kind of disregarded it. And then he called me back, and he said, I found it online. You can download the PDF, and you can get it. And so I was like, mostly done with my message and then there's like 30 more pages to read i'm like no but i did and it was very very interesting and ff bruce says this and i've got the quote here and i want to kind of wrap up with this idea that grace first is a quality of graciousness graciousness in the giver and that's kind of what we've been talking about starts with the giver but then secondly it's a quality of gratitude in the recipient we have a response What is our response to that grace? Then, number three, which in turn makes him gracious to those around. Three things. It starts with God, it's our response, and then it's our application to those around us. We are to be gracious, church, the most gracious people on the planet. I believe that. Not lawless, we don't throw away all the rules, but grace gives life, and you can give life. You can do it. I can do it, even when it's hard. But you know what's crazy? There are so many Christians that are full of self-righteousness, They try to follow the laws and they're legalists. They're full of judgment. They're following the rules. Can I be bold enough to say there are Christians that are just jerks when they come to dealing with other people? And I just want to say, if that's you today, rest in the grace of God. We are not called to be the judge. We are not called to be the self-righteous ones. We're all in this journey together. And I believe it's our grace, the way we respond to grace and the way we give grace that is contagious and it is, um, it's exciting for a non-believer and even for believers to see when we are gracious. Lord, help us. See, if God is gracious, 
I believe that we are to be gracious as well. Amen? Amen. There's a song called The Scandal of Grace. It's a praise and worship song by uh, Hillsong United. It came out earlier this year. Uh, that's been a blessing to me. And in that song, it talks about Christ's sacrifice and really does a nice job uh, taking uh, what happened to Christ on the cross and putting it into words. And they call, the, the, they call the song the scandal of grace, that what, what happened, what Christ did, it's like a scandal. It's too good to be true, kind of that idea. And uh, I think they do a great job. But then the tr- it transitions, the song does, and it, and it talks about, it says, Oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. There's no one else above you. Um, uh, something like that. And then, you got the words up here? I don't know. You don't, but that's okay. And, uh, and, it, and it really captures what I believe I'm trying to say this morning, that we need to embrace who God is, take his grace, and then to be like him. And then there's a little bridge that says, it's all because of you, Jesus. It's all because of you. And what I'd like us to do as we think about grace and about our own lives, I want us to take a moment, listen to the song. You can follow along with the words and, uh, and let it just sink in. And then at a point, I'll come back and we'll stand and we'll actually sing the song together as it kind of wraps up and then we'll be on our way. All right, let's do it. is 
let's stand and let's sing it together with it. the grace that God gives and then to extend that to others around us. And if you've struggled in that, I just want to say you can do it. You can be grace to someone. You can be God's hand extended. And I believe that God wants you to be just that. At the end of that document um, that I read, written in 1816 by the theologian of the last name Bruce. He says this as he closes. He says, Grace will make us gracious in our dealings and enable us to avoid the spirit of hardness, hatred, severity, and manifest the spirit of love, patience, mildness, forgiveness, and tenderness. See, it takes it from a point of hatred to mildness, severity to tenderness, from hardness to a spirit of love and patience. And I, I could stand before you today and say, I don't get it right all the time. There are times I can be judgmental with the best of them. Sometimes that's our first natural response is to throw the book at somebody. Especially when we know or if it's been a repeated offense. I don't know how God does it. But I'll tell you, if he can do it, he challenges us to do it. And it doesn't matter what kind of mistakes you've made. God, his grace is available for you today, right now. I'm wondering how many of you this morning say, man, I need to embrace that fully, the grace of God. I need to give myself a break 
Yeah, I've made mistakes. Yeah, I've done things wrong. Uh, Yeah, things haven't worked out quite right. But you know what? God looks, he looks as as if you're a son or a daughter. Like I would look at my own son. If he tried to create his own worth, I'd be like, buddy, you're crazy. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. His grace is available. And then the application of that is really powerful. That we can give grace. We can give grace in the workplace, in our families, with our kids. To give grace with our spouse. To give grace in our friendships at school. And to live that way. Not easy, but that's the goal. Today, our hearts cry can be, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you, to understand the grace of God and let it change the way we live our lives. I want to sing this song as kind of a reflection piece together just to capture that one more time. All right, let's do that. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to there's no one beside you forever the hope in my heart if you know it sing it out oh to be like you give all I have just to know Jesus there's no one beside you forever the hope in my without rules, without lawlessness. 
again, if we understand a marriage relationship, it's a relationship that causes that grace to really work. It's not rules. It's not, it's not just a doctrine. But would you repeat this after me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for the times I've been judgmental, that I've been rude, that I've been quick to judge, not full of grace. God, I'm sorry. Help me to know you better. Help me to be more like you. To be full of grace. To live my life that way. In Jesus' name. Now with your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, want to know Jesus personally, to have a relationship with Jesus. We want to extend the grace of salvation. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means he takes the mess of your life and he cleans it up and he puts you on a completely new path. Is there anyone here that would like to receive salvation this morning? Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, anyone at all. On my left, your right, over in this section, in the middle section, anyone saying, boy, that's where I am today. I need God's saving grace. How about my right, your left, over in this section, anyone at all? With your heads bowed and continue to eyes closed, is very personal. Let me ask you this. How many here moment of honesty, just say, God, I need more of your grace in my life. Would you just slip up your hand? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in Raise our hands to the Lord. Let's sing it again. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. One more time. This is our heart's cry, Lord, to grow in grace, to be full of grace. Give all I have just to to understand grace Jesus there's no one beside you forever the hope in my heart yes and it says this and I'll say it again grace will make us gracious in our dealings and enable us to avoid the spirit of hardness hatred severity and on the flip side and manifest the spirit of love. Sounds good. Patience, mildness, forgiveness, and tenderness. Written over two, well, almost 200 years ago, but still applicable in our lives today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to go in grace, go before us, behind us, and around us, and help us to live out who you've called us to be. We pray it for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, amen.